the things that I've always enjoyed in life is to be in close proximity to people that have the gift of vision. You know, in other words, to, to be close to someone that has the ability to see beauty where other people don't see beauty yet. I think about one of my good friends, one of my best friends growing up is a guy named Lee Cook. He's a part of this church family. Some of you know Lee and Amy, just an amazing couple. Um, when we were in middle school, Lee and his dad, they would buy these old cars that were way beyond their life cycle. You know, they'd buy cars from the 50s and the 60s, cars that um, were rusted out, broken down, um, couldn't move, weren't worth hardly anything. And Lee and his dad, they would, they would buy what to most of us just looked like uh, just a piece of junk. And they'd, they'd bring it home and week by week, inch by inch, month by month, year by year, they would restore those cars. And by the end of the journey, the, the car would be more beautiful than it was the day it drove off the showroom 50 years earlier. Just this amazing gift. They had this ability to see beauty where no one else could see beauty. Have you ever been around somebody like that? Or uh, I think about uh, kind of one of my wife's heroes. I'm convinced if she could be friends with any celebrity, it would be Joanna Gaines. Um, and so how many of you watch Fixer Upper? You know, yes. <laughs> I don't know who that was, but she's just like, yes, Joanna. Like, <laughs> you and Sydney would be great friends, whoever you were. Um, and if you ever watch that show, it's, it's this reality show about this couple from Texas, and they, they go into neighborhoods, and they buy the, the worst house, the, the most broken-down house. And in some ways, the show's kind of frustrating because the, the people that are looking to buy the house at the beginning, they're always like, I don't know if we can see it. I'm like, you're on the show with Joanna. I mean, it's going <laughs> it's to turn out awesome, you know. You, and, and I love it because, you know, they have this ability. If you've ever watched the show, they walk in these old houses, and they see beauty where nobody else sees beauty. They, they, they see potential where everybody else just sees a problem. And it's this amazing gift to be with someone, to be in the presence of somebody that can see beauty when no one else can see. And I've just been thinking about that all week because I go, in, in, in such a way, I mean, isn't that God? Like, isn't that who God is? He, he has this ability to, to, to see beauty where everybody else just sees the mess. That where you see death, God sees life. Where you see a funeral, God sees a new beginning. Where you see a broken down, hopeless marriage, God sees something he wants to resurrect. Where you see addiction that can't be cured, God sees a story. And that God is in the business of fixing up the unfixable. And then he has this heart for the unfixable by our eyes. And he says, hey, wherever I'm in the equation, the story's not done. And I've been thinking about what a beautiful thing it is. What an amazing thing it is to have a God who is a God of new beginnings and not just second beginnings, but third beginnings and fourth beginnings and fifth beginnings and on and on and on. I wish I could get an excited church. How amazing. That's our God. That's who he is. Dead things come to life in the presence of our God. And for us to see the way that he sees, wow. Wow. You know, what would happen if we could become a church who didn't just gather to worship the God of new beginnings, the God that sees the beautiful in the midst of the mess, but if we began to take on the way of seeing that God does? It's one of the beautiful things that happened, I think, in this last season of prayer and fasting. Our vision of God has been elevated, and our vision of ourselves has been humbled. 
Like God has become bigger and more beautiful to a lot of us in this season and our own shortcomings and our own failures and our own lack of discipline has come front and center for a lot of us. And I go, man, this is the crossroads through which God often shows up and does his greatest work. And I go, where we see a mess, God sees something beautiful. Where we see problems, God sees potential. And I go, man, what would happen if that vision would just blow like wildfire to this group of people? See, I love Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to spend just a few minutes looking at a few short verses. And Ephesians chapter 5 is, is one of those passages that you normally just hear at weddings. It's like one of those passages that we typically think of when we think of, of marriage. And although Ephesians chapter 5 certainly speaks into marriage, and we'll actually talk about that later this summer when we come back to this passage, Ephesians chapter 5 first and foremost, is not actually about marriage. Marriage is just the metaphor that Paul uses to get to the heart of the real message. And the, the heart of the real message in Ephesians chapter 5 is this sufficiency, not only of Jesus' vision, but of his ability to follow through on his vision. And I love this. Look at verse 25 of Ephesians 5. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Jesus loves the church. And as he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing her with water through his word and to present her to himself as a radiant bride, as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but to be holy, to be set apart, to be blameless, to be without fault. That's what it means. Jump down to verse 32. He says, because this is a profound mystery. But what I'm talking about is Christ and the church. Now, verse 32 is huge. I want you to just hone in on that for one second. Paul is talking about Jesus' relationship to the church. And in this metaphor, he talks about Christ being the groom and the church being the bride. And when he's talking about the church, he's not just talking about ethos. He's not just talking about the church in Ephesus or the local church. He's talking about the global gathering of God's people that are being redeemed, have been saved, and are being transformed day by day like an old car or being restored to their intended original beauty and purpose. That's what Paul's talking about when he talks about the church. And he uses this metaphor of marriage to talk about a husband and a wife. He's talking about Christ, the husband, uh, the, the people of God being the bridegroom. And he uses this metaphor of marriage a lot throughout Ephesians chapter 5. But look back at verse 32. He says, don't let the metaphor become distracting. He says, this isn't just about marriage. He says, this mystery of transformation, this mystery that I'm talking about, look at verse 32, is about Christ and the church. And so he says, if you want to understand what is being spoken of here, you have to understand that this isn't really just about marriage. This is about God doing something in his relationship with Jesus in this broken group of people that we call the church. I don't know if you take notes, but I want to give you the whole sermon in one sentence right here. And that is Ephesians chapter 5 is this great reminder that Jesus never finds a beautiful church. Jesus makes the church beautiful. Jesus doesn't find a beautiful church. Jesus makes the church beautiful. And there is a profound difference between Jesus finding a beautiful church and Jesus making the church beautiful. Jesus isn't looking across planet Earth going, man, if I could just find a church where there were no hypocrites, where there were no sinners, 
where everyone would be just fully devoted to me if I could find that church and then I would come and dwell with them and bless them and love them and serve them. Jesus doesn't go looking for beautiful churches because I don't know if you've noticed, there's no such thing as a beautiful church. I hear this all the time. People go, man, the church is full of hypocrites. Of course it is. Of course it is. Why? Because Jesus doesn't look for beautiful churches. Jesus is the one who makes churches beautiful. Does that make sense? And if you've ever come to the end of your own ability, if you've ever felt short, if you've ever felt like you can't measure up to the, to the things of God, if you've ever been bold online about your opinions, but you've been a coward in person, if you've ever said one thing but done something else, man, you're a perfect fit for Jesus' church. Because Jesus doesn't go looking for beautiful churches. Jesus makes churches beautiful. And there's a big difference. He looks for ordinary people like you and I. He comes all the way into the midst of the mess, and he has this ability to see the beauty where everyone else around them just sees the problem. You know, we live in a time right now where it's so popular to hate on the church, right? Even Christians, I think sometimes that's our defense mechanism in the world. We're like, oh, we love Jesus, but we hate the church, you know? And it's, it's easy to take shots at the church, but I love this description of the church, despite all of her flaws and all of her brokenness. In Ephesians chapter 5, look back at verse 25. It says, Christ loves this group of people. Christ loves the church, just as Jesus loved the church. I just want to put this in human terms for a minute. If you tell me that you love me, but you hate my wife, spoiler alert, you and I aren't going to be cool. Like the level of friendship is going to be seriously damaged. To be cool with me, you've got to be cool with my wife. All of her faults. I'm just kidding. <laughs> She's on the second row. I only say that. You know. um, you've you got to be cool with her. It's the way that it works. And I, lo I love this image here. He, he, says, he, says, he says, Christ has this ability to see beauty where everybody else sees mess because he knows what it is that he's capable of. See, I love this. Jesus is not just a glass is half full kind of guy, although he is. The reason he's a glass is half full kind of guy is because he knows what he's capable of. The reason Joanna and Chip Gaines walk into an old broken down house and they see potential because they know what they can do. They know what they can fix. And it's the reason Jesus has never been scared of a good mess. And I love this, this image of Christ and the church that you get here in Ephesians chapter 5. It's this image of Jesus, look at verse 26, making, making us into the very thing that we're not. This is the language over and over and over. He says he's, he's making us into a holy church. He's making us into a blameless church. He's, he's making us into a spotless church. Wrinkle-free, stain-free bride that he will present to himself. He did not find us beautiful. He's the one that is making us beautiful. Man, what an amazing thing this is. What, what a gift it is to have a God that says, I'll take you exactly as you are, but I refuse to leave you there. You see, our culture tends to honor and celebrate authenticity, but we do it at the expense of transformation. 
And see, Jesus loves to call things as they are, but he never leaves them as they are. He keeps calling. He keeps calling. And look at the way that he does this, verse 25. It says, it says just as Christ loves the church, Jesus does this. Why does he enter into the mess? Why does he transform the mess? He does this from a posture of love. John 3, 16, for God so what? Yeah, say it again. For God so, for God so loved the world. Love was the thing that motivated Jesus from the confines of heaven into the mess of the earth. That's what motivated Jesus. It's love. It says he came to, to clean up the mess. Motivated by love. Motivated by love. I, I love that. It says, it says Christ loved the church. He loved the church. He gave himself up for her. The verse at the end of 25, he says he gave himself up for her. He, he, he died for her. He, he, he was raised for her. He, he served her. He's sanctifying her. He's re reforming and restoring her. Think about several years ago, being in India with some of our church plants in the easternmost corner of India. Dolly was there with me and a team of folks. It was just an amazing experience. We have a whole group of churches there, and two of our pastors, they're, they're some of our church planters kind of in the easternmost uh, corner in uh, this uh, little kind of village called Bashirat. And uh, their names are Sukhbib and Nabanita. Sukhbib is the husband, Nabanita is the wife. And years before they were our church planters in India, they're in uh, Bashirat. Um, they were just volunteering with the church, and they were doing whatever it takes to get the good news of Jesus to places that hadn't heard about Jesus. And so I remember just sitting down with them and just kind of hearing their story. And they were telling me, you know, before they started pastoring the church, they worked six days a week. Sunday was their day off. And on Sunday mornings, they'd wake up and they'd get on this public bus. And, you know, you think public transportation can be rough here in the States. You haven't seen anything until you've been on public transportation in India. And they would get on a bus because it was their only way to get around. And they would ride six hours in one direction every single Sunday morning. They'd ride six hours to this village that had never had a Christian church, had never had a, a witness to the person of Jesus as far as they could tell and were, uh, had been informed. And every Sunday, they'd ride six hours one direction. They'd go into the slums of this village. They'd care for the kids. They'd love the kids. They'd teach them about Jesus. They'd serve them. For several hours, they'd get back on the bus, and they'd ride six hours back to the place that they'd come from in Kolkata. And they were telling me their story, and they go, man, 18-hour Sundays, just volunteer, just doing it at their own expense. I go, why would you do that? And they would go, because it's what Jesus did for us. And the joy of serving Jesus' wife, that's what they call the church, the joy of serving Jesus' bride. I go, man, I'm not being hard on this. Maybe I am. I just want to say it as it is. I mean, in America, sometimes we have to pull teeth just to get Christians to serve once a month at one service. There are people all over the world that have such a vision of the Lord. Get on a bus six hours one way just to tell some kids in the trash heaps that God is good. They go, Lord, give us that vision. Help us see beauty where nobody else sees beauty and to arrange our life around it. That's what Jesus did. He, he loves this mess. He gave his life up for this mess. In verse 26, it says he is in the process of actively cleaning up this mess. I love this. Look at verse 26. He says he makes her holy, talking about the church, his bride, by cleansing her. Listen, that's an ongoing word. It doesn't say he cleaned her. It's all over. 
So by cleansing her, by washing her with water through the word of God. You know, we talk about this all the time, that apart from God's word and God's spirit, there's no real lasting transformation in the life of a Christian. That it's, it's the word of God. You know, each week we sit under this together where we go, okay, Lord, we're not here to read the word. We're here so that the word can read us and stretch us and lead us and change us. And he's reminding us, he says, as a group of broken, messy people come together under the lordship of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we sit under the word of God, it's Jesus' way of cleaning us up, changing our standards, changing the way we see, changing the way we love, changing the way we live. He says this is one of the ways, one of the many ways that Jesus restores and cleans us up to our original intended purposes and beauty. And he says he does this, verse 27. So that one day he can present to himself a radiant bride, <laughs> a blameless bride, a holy bride, a spotless, wrinkle-free. Some of you like wrinkle creams, like this is the best wrinkle cream you've ever seen, like stain-free, blemish-free church. He says there's going to be this moment where one day you and I won't be defined by our brokenness any longer. We'll be defined by God's redemptive beauty that's been at work in us. And that one day the doors of that eternal chapel will open and we will see Christ face to face and he will no longer see your sin, but he will see you as the beautiful child of God that you already are, but you've been cleansed up by his work. Oh man, that makes me want to weep. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing that we get to be a part of. You know, yesterday I had the joy of doing a wedding um, for some of my friends that go to the 9 o'clock here, they're on their honeymoon, Michael and Bethany, some of you know, th know them. And then I left that wedding, and I went straight to a vow renewal for some of my friends that also go to our church here that were celebrating their 20th anniversary, and they were renewing their vows. And it was just such this beautiful um, picture of the way the gospel works. And so I'm there at the wedding with Michael and Bethany. He hadn't seen her all day. You know, they had stayed away from each other and he wanted to see her for the first time when the doors opened. And, you know, I'm sure most of you or all of you have been to a wedding at some point. And there's that moment where the door opens and it is freaking magic. I mean, it is, it is awesome. The music, the doors, the lighting. Like, it just, isn't it just awesome, that, that moment? Like, the door opens, and the bride is there. And he, I'm standing there by Michael, and he hasn't seen her yet. And I'm like shoulder to shoulder. And as soon as he sees her, he goes, oh. I mean, just like, just literally. I'm like, man, that's amazing. And just tears start rolling down his face. And I'm like, I'm seeing the gospel at work right now. Because he's seen her a thousand times. They've been dating for years, but he'd never seen her like that. And he'd seen her as his girlfriend, but he'd never seen her as his bride. And it was this amazing moment. And it felt like it took her forever to get there. Like he's walking down the aisle, just like step by step, it's just so slow. And I'm like, this is this is the gospel that Christ has chosen us. He's gotten you ready. He's, he's cleansed you up. He's cleaning you up. Those of you that have been married, do you remember your wedding day? You know, like on a normal day, how long does it take you to get ready? Like, you know, a guy, 20 minutes, you know, girl, maybe a little bit longer. Maybe that's sexist. I don't know. I'm sorry. Um, you know, a, a normal day, it takes all of us the exact same amount of time to get ready. <laughs> but on your wedding day, on your wedding day, how long does it take you to get ready? It's like the wedding's at 7 p.m. Get there at 3 a.m. Why? Like... 
Like all day, all day. The preparation, the cleansing takes forever on your wedding day. Man, you become a Christian instantly. Boom. The saving work of God. How long does it take you to feel like a beautiful bride? Whole life. Whole life. Saved. Boom. Confident in God's salvation. Whole life getting cleaned up. Last night, I leave the wedding and I go straight to this vow renewal. I'm sitting there. Two of my friends have been married 20 years and... There have been some parts of the last 20 years that have been amazing. There have been some parts of the last 20 years that have been difficult. And there's that moment where they look at one another and they say, I still choose to choose you. And I thought, man, it's a gospel. At the beginning of the road and in the middle of the journey, it's a gospel. That, that God is, is doing something. And I go, thank God. Literally, thank God. That he has vision for the beauty when all we have is a vision for the mess. Aren't you glad that God could see you the way that he sees you when at your very worst? And it's the hopefulness of what we cling to. And I think when we begin to see this and really understand, it, it makes us, those of you that are Christians, I know not all of us are Christians, but those of you that are Christians, let me speak to you for just a second. When you really understand what Ephesians chapter 5 is proclaiming, when you understand it, it makes you the most humble and confident and bold people on planet Earth. It makes you humble because you realize that Jesus saved you not because of your goodness, but because of his. It makes you humble, not because Jesus found you beautiful as you were, but because he found you to be a real fixer-upper that needed some work. And that is a humbling thing. I heard this over and over in the last 30 days of prayer and fasting. People would say, man, I start praying, and I'm just feeling all the weight of my sin. And I go, it sounds like you've dialed in close to the Lord. Because a lot of times when you get close to Jesus, no one walks into the presence of Jesus with arrogance. Like when you really encounter Jesus, there's no room for arrogance there. You see him in his perfection and his beauty, and it's a very humbling experience. And to see God as he is will humble us. But man, it gives us confidence as well, because man, if he loves you as you are, wow. Man, we have confidence to boldly approach the throne. Does that make sense? Can I get an amen on that? Does that make sense? Like there's this humility and there's this confidence that comes because God has chosen you to be his bride, because God loves you. You know, if Joanna Gaines was my realtor, if she told me to buy a flaming dumpster, I would do it because I'm like, I'm sure she'll do something cool with it. She can fix it. Chip's the realtor. Sydney just corrected me. So if Chip was the realtor... Verse 24, <laughs> so wives should submit to their husbands. That's literally in the Bible. Some of you got offended and you clearly have no idea about our relational dynamic. Um, we'll deal with that in the summer, I promise. Uh, it gives you this humility and it gives you this confidence because Christ can make any mess beautiful. That if your heart is still beating, God's not done. I don't care how far gone the marriage feels. Christ is there. He's not done. 
don't care how far gone the situation with your kids feels. If Christ is there, he's not done. And the truth is, from the limited perspective of our experience, we, ne- we may never understand how it is that he's going about cleansing up this mess. But man, may our confidence be in the one that makes all things beautiful. That's the hope. And it gives us this humble confidence. And I think in turn, it gives us this boldness to enter into the world with a sense of vision that no one else around us can have. That we become the people who at work are not scared by the messy lives of our coworkers. Why? Because Christ can make anything beautiful. That we become the ones in our families that despite the marriages falling apart and the kids going crazy and all of the brokenness and the infighting, we're the ones in our families that don't give up. Why? Because Christ can make all things beautiful. We're the ones that look at the political mess and the racial mess and the sociological mess of the culture that we find ourselves in and we don't live with the hopelessness that the rest of the world lives. But we go, Christ can make all things beautiful. And because Christ can make all things beautiful, I'll go with humility and confidence and boldness. And I will be the one who will proclaim beauty where no one else can see beauty. You go, how amazing would that be this week? If 3,000 people across our church family just took the mantle upon themselves and said, it's our job to see things as God sees them. And to speak life as God speaks life. To speak hope as God speaks hope and to let God be God and to let people be in process and trust that only God can make sense of it all. Oh man, how cool would that be? I commission you to do that this week. I commission you to be life speakers and blessing seers and beauty reconstructors because you're walking in the grace and the humility of God. And the confidence of what it is to be with Jesus. You know, there's some of you here this morning, and you're not followers of Jesus. And I just, I just want to say this as plainly as I know how to say it. Um, you can never do enough to be right with God. You can't do enough good works. You can't give enough money. You can't serve hard enough. There, there's no way that you can weigh out on the cosmic scales with your actions enough to be made right. To be able to dwell perfectly with the holy God. You can't do it. We live in a culture that doesn't talk about sin a whole lot. I know, I know it's not super popular, but um, every one of us have sinned. Christians have sinned. Non-Christians have sinned. Every one of us has sinned. You've fallen short of the glory of God. And there is nothing you can do in your own strength to tip the scales backwards. But here's good news. The Bible never asks you to be the one to tip the scales. Jesus tips the scales. Jesus cleans the mess. Jesus restores. Jesus saves. And there is no one that is outside of the reach of God's saving work. No one. But you have to choose to yield and surrender to him. That's it. You have to say, Lord, I I surrender my ways, my wants, my will. I place my trust in your ability to clean up this broken, messy life. Be identified with you in baptism. I'll be filled with your Holy Spirit. I'll go on this lifelong journey of being cleansed by you over and over and over and over. And I just want to say, if, if you're not a Christian, if you don't believe in Jesus, man, 
don't leave here today in the same status that you are right now. I say this with love. Like without Christ, without Christ, there is zero hope for your eternal future. You can have temporal joy without Jesus. You can find some happiness in life. I'm not going to be one of those guys that says all, all life is bad without Jesus. I have a lot of non-Christian friends that are pretty happy. There is no eternal joy. There is no eternal life apart from full surrender to Jesus Christ. And you can give your life to him today. If you want to talk about it, have questions about it, no one's going to pressure you into it. There'll be some men and women at the Respond Banner that would love to talk with you about that. Love to pray with you. Love to help you navigate some of those complex questions. It took me years to kind of get there. And you may not get there instantly. It's okay. But I want you to hear that clearly. You need Jesus. And those of you that are followers of Jesus, I just want to ask you, is there any part, is there any area of your life where you are actively resisting the work of Jesus to keep transforming you into his beautiful bride? Is there, any, is there any part of your life where Jesus is trying to help you deal with these things that are keeping you from knowing him more fully? Where are you resisting the cleaning up work of the Lord? I go, confess that today. Share it with a friend. Pray about it. Ask the Lord to keep helping you with that. And then may we go out of here with humility and confidence and boldness to be the men and women that speak life and beauty where no one else can see it. And what a cool thing it is that we get to be a part of. I invite you to stand. I'm going to pray over you. We're going to take communion together. We're going to continue to worship. God, I love you. And I thank you for who you are and for what you're doing. God, I thank you for the way that right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you are drawing people to yourself. I thank you for the ways that right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you are pointing out the areas in our life that are not in congruence with you. I thank you that you are, you are in the process of making this messy body of people into a beautiful bride. And Lord, we can't wait to see you face to face. But in the meantime, would you keep working on us? Would you keep chipping away at our tough exteriors? Would you keep making us more and more like you? And would the confidence we have be in you, in you alone? I love you, Lord. Um, would you help me to love you more? Would you help us to love you more? It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.